just because the NFL season is now firmly in the rearview mirror does not mean the betting season is over. Oh, no, 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 no. There is still plenty of opportunities to put a little something-something on the games. The NBA, college basketball, NHL, yes, golf. No matter what tickles your fancy, there is still plenty of action to whet your appetite. But just remember, where you bet is every bit as important, if not more so, than what you're betting on. That's why I tell my friends to go to mybookie.com. A-G. Oh, but my state just approved it. There's a big DraftKings fan duel, whatever. No, 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 no. Johnny come latelys. My bookie has been ahead of the game for years now. And why does that matter? Oh, I don't know. In a million ways. Better lines, better payouts, less rules. You name it. Plus, you get a bonus with me at mybookie.ag. Use promo code ZABE, Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo, and have your deposit matched halfway up to $1,000. Now, make sure you read the rules on payouts regarding bonus wagering. It does require certain levels of wagering to collect your money. But if you just want to bet straight up, you don't want the deposit, you want to make a one-time bet for a million dollars, win it, and then walk away, Fine, you can do that as well. That's a free cash bonus for making your deposit. Use promo code ZABE to claim the offer. Bet, win, and most importantly, get paid with my bookie today. Today on the ZABEcast, this episode is not for people who make up their mind about highly controversial topics and then lock the door. This is an episode to challenge you to think deeper, even if you still come away saying, meh, this guy's full of shit. Investigative journalist John Ziegler talks about the debut of his new podcast, The Benefit of Hindsight. One hour of thought-challenging conversation is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go! Here we go! Thursday, April 22nd, 2021. Thank you for downloading. I first talked to John Ziegler about seven years ago on my radio show in Washington, D.C. It was not long after Joe Pa had passed away and Sandusky was firmly behind bars and most of America and the sporting media had made up their minds. Yet there was John Ziegler, along with Steeler legend Franco Harris, as the only two strong voices out there saying paterno was framed. It was enough for me and Solly and Scott to kind of basically laugh at the very idea and to fit them for public dunce caps. It was easy dunking on them to say so. Ziegler, meanwhile, came on my show and said he was already on the trail of just how badly justice was administered in the Sandusky trial. He said he thought in the end he'd have a strong case that even Sandusky didn't do it, much less Joe Paterno being responsible for some grand cover-up. I thought at the time, yeah, buddy, right. Well, I was highly skeptical then. I was still skeptical now, but I always keep an open mind. And so I downloaded and I listened to all two and a half hours of episode one of what is going to be a 19-episode podcast. I imagine this is like the sporting version of The Making of a Murderer, a very popular podcast which I never listened to. I know it was all the rage however many years ago, and it helped put podcasts firmly in the minds of many Americans as, hey, this is like Netflix for your ears. I like this stuff. And of course, there'll be some cynics saying, yeah, duh, Zabe, don't you get it? 
Ziegler is trying to profit off of and benefit from creating this sequel to the, hey, wait a minute, though, he might not have done it. But like a lot of things in life, it's complicated. I actually like trying to understand complicated things. It helps me exercise my increasingly feeble brain and my short attention span. And if you like that as well, I think you'll enjoy his podcast, and I think you'll enjoy me talking to him for the next hour here about it. I made lots and lots of notes. So here was our discussion of what I took away from it, along with the lingering questions I had and still have. All right, as promised, joining us once again, former TV sports anchor, investigative journalist, documentary filmmaker, senior media columnist with Mediaite, and now podcaster, and very rabid and knowledgeable golfer and fan, John Ziegler, who has his new podcast out with the benefit of hindsight about the Jerry Sandusky case. This is going to be an amazing deep dive, my friend. How do you feel that it's now starting to come out? constantly. Uh, I have wanted to quit this case uh, on about a monthly basis. Uh, I, it's amazing to me I'm still married. And my wife is a saint uh, for putting up with this. Uh, I started this whole uh, crusade uh, believing that most of what we were told was true, but that the allegations against Joe Paterno, which uh, this whole story began back in 2011, 10 years ago, just didn't make sense because, as you've already indicated, you know, I'm a former sportscaster. I'm also not only just covered college and pro football, I've actually coached high school football in two different states. So from a cultural standpoint, the story never made any sense to me, especially from the cover-up perspective. But as I got deeper and deeper into it, I came to the very, very shocking and very much against my own self-interest conclusion that everything we were told about this case is wrong and that everybody is innocent and i didn't want that conclusion because i knew it was going to be terrible for my life but i had a decision to make do i use this opportunity as the only person to know the the full story because of the unique circumstances that i found myself in or do i let just just let this go right and let this and and i probably should have just let it go <laughs> um but um we, we've decided now that as the 10-year anniversary approaches to put this all out in an extraordinary, regardless of your beliefs about the case or about me, th- this podcast is extraordinary uh, on so many different levels. The fact that it even just exists is is amazing. It's 19 different episodes, all of which are exceedingly extensive and long, and it's co-hosted by a, a female television sportscaster at the Fox affiliate here in Los Angeles named Liz Abib who actually happens to be a Pitt graduate, uh, has no wow. love for Penn State, and um, and whose brother actually played football uh, at Penn State. So, and, and by the way, part of the allure of the podcast, it, it works on several different levels, in my opinion. Uh, one, obviously, is the nature of the case and telling a true crime story the way that it should have been told and not the way that the news media told it, which was a complete fairy tale. But also... <laughs> The the rapport between me and Liz is quite extraordinary, uh, and uh, she gives me a hard time throughout the whole thing as kind of the voice of the other yeah. side, devil's yeah. advocate, 
and asking questions that she knows the audience would like to hear. And we battle pretty hard at times. Well, so it's, and, a, it's and an entertaining. It's it an is. Entertaining She's list. good. She brings up good points. I had the benefit of listening to episode one while mowing the grass the other day, and I was fascinated by it. And I will also jump in as a somewhat uh, cross-examination witness here, and we'll have fun going at it. By the way, a lot of my fans are big fans of yours, and I think that makes perfect sense given our mindsets. But this crystal, this was the most amazing email that I got about you. You ready? Hey, Steve, don't use my name with this email. <laughs> that already tells you how toxic some people think you are. Like you're like right. you're poison incarnate, which is ridiculous, insane. He said, I really liked it when you had John Ziegler on, so I started to listen to his COVID podcasts. He's a bit long-winded, but I like his message. So far, so good, right? Okay. Then he goes, because he mentioned it, I started to listen to his podcast on Jerry Sandusky. Now I think John Ziegler is a complete whack job. <laughs> he says, I hope to well, take I hope you take some time to listen to some of Sandusky's podcast before you speak with him next week. I did, and I don't think you're a whack job. I think you are the one person who has gone the distance, as the line went in uh, the movie uh, Field of Dreams. Go the distance. You have gone the distance. You have done more legwork on this, more interviews, to the point of, what, smuggling a pen recorder into jail to get Sandusky? Yeah, that was that was one of the more bizarre, I mean, of many, many very strange stories. But yes, when I interviewed Jerry Sandusky the first time in prison, I smuggled in a recording pen because in Pennsylvania, you're not allowed to record interviews. And I knew that if I went in there and didn't record it, no one would care. And so that whole story is actually hilarious because I, I overestimated the security at the prison <laughs> where Sandusky was at the time. And I super glued the top of the pen because I was afraid that if they inspected the pen as I entered, that the whole you know thing would get get yeah. uh, caught and I would be completely hosed. Well, as it turned out, I got out of the prison and I was told that if I just used this dissolving liquid, that the super glue would be taken care of, but that didn't work. Oh, so then no. I, I had this, I had this pen that was, I had three and a half hours of a Jerry Sandusky interview locked in it, which had to be salvaged by an audio expert here in Los Angeles. Uh, that was just one of many, I mean, this, this whole funny. thing has got, that well, does they, that they, does make you a whack job, but it makes you a whack job who I love, who was willing to go that distance to get what you needed to get. So well, well, let me let me. And, and by the way, that's not even the tip of the iceberg. I know. Um, and 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 as far as the the issue of me being a whack job, okay, there are two choices here um, that I think a rational person could look at. Yeah, I could be insane. Um, however, um, I'm not alone on this. No. Uh, I, somehow, I, somehow I have gotten an executive producer to fund this, a, a currently, uh, you know, very well known and employed TV sportscaster to co-host this, uh, with me. Um, it, it, we've been able to put together incredibly substantive 19 different episodes including all these right including all these interviews i agree i agree just let me let me just finish the thought so so um i'm either insane plus i'm also the greatest manipulator (laughs) of all time but 
I'm such an idiot that I'm not able to manipulate all this to my benefit in any way, shape, or form because because this has been the worst thing that's ever happened in my life. So I guess that's all possible. Or there's a more a much simpler explanation, which is I'm right. That's and anyone true. who's looked at this, and anyone that's looked at this, including Malcolm Gladwell, who wrote an entire chapter in his most uh, recent book, a bestseller called "Talking to Strangers," using my work to talk about this case in a very politically correct way, but he pushed it as far as he thought he mm. could. He knows I'm, he knows, he knows I'm right. right. But Malcolm Gladwell doesn't do that unless he's done his research. And so I guess Malcolm Gladwell is also a nut job. Um, no, I know. But he's not. That, that was a, that was a big get. I want to talk a little bit about that in a second, but we'll loop back to it. I, I do. I understand that the way it works these days, it's like in, in the eyes of most, if you're the only one chasing against a narrative that instantly puts you in the camp of crazy, but we're so right. narrative driven like cattle these days by the absolutely corrupt and downright evil media that it, it it's just the way things are. It's almost like the great monorail episode in The Simpsons where Marge is the only one objecting to the project and she's shouted down by the entire town and the line goes from Homer, too late Marge, the mob has spoken. That's kind of how this ding. case is, right? No, and, and let me just add one more thing before we get into the details of the case. And I know you have a lot of questions, but that's such an important point. This very much is the emperor has no clothes situation where I'm, I'm the kid saying, people, the emperor has no clothes here. And, and can we be, you know, just remember for a moment, this, is, this kind of thing has happened on a smaller scale numerous times in recent history. I, I view this case as Duke Lacrosse meets Theranos meets Jussie oh. Smollett meets Manti oh. Teo. If yes. you add all those together, you get Penn State Paterno Sandusky. And by the way, it's not even close. That's what's the most remarkable part of this is that when people look at this, and I've gotten very credible people who are part of this podcast to look at this, and they all go, wow, uh, yeah, you're not just right. It's not close. And we all should have been able to see this immediately if we had not been stricken with panic. And obviously yeah. with COVID, and there's a lot of – I've had people come to me and say, oh, my God, John, I never fully understood what you were alleging in the Penn State paterno Sandusky case until we've seen what happened with COVID. By the way, COVID is real. Uh, this story is not. But the, the, the right. impact of panic and media yeah. narratives yeah. and being invested in a narrative is what drives this and what – once you once you set the narrative, and you know you're now somehow in favor of child molestation, if you if you question it, right. No one is no one other than John Ziegler is going to be stupid enough to do that. Yeah. But in this but this case, someone should have because Joe Paterno on his deathbed said, "Just find out what the truth is." And I thought that even though I was not a big Paterno fan and thought he should have retired sooner, and if he had, none of this would have happened. That he at least deserved that. Yeah. And unfortunately, no one, including his own family was willing to give him his deathbed wish. I believe I've done that, and I just want people to listen. Yeah. Uh, Duke Lacrosse first came to mind. Richard Jewell, the kid in the MAGA hat on the mall. I forgot about Jussie Smollett. Yeah. I read about Theranos. If you haven't read about the Theranos story, please Google it, look at it. It is a whopper. Now we got the Brian Sicknick thing with the January 6th protest. It goes on and on and on. Once the mob has spoken, it's too late. You, you go against it, and you're instantly branded crazy. Okay. Having said that, here's uh, where I'm going to go with this. I'm going okay. to, at times, John, zoom way ahead, 
cut to the chase, and then we're going to go back and fill in the gaps. So don't think I'm not going to talk about the gaps. There's certain things I have to anchor in place so I can understand where to go with this. So I hope that's all right. And we'll have plenty of room to run today. There's there's, there's not a question that you can ask that I I don't have a better answer for than the fairy tale we were told. (laughs) I know. So so there's going to be a few of the short rat-a-tat-tats, if you could just give me a quick rat-a-tat-tat so I can anchor this. All right, some baseline questions to the discussion. Sandusky was convicted of what exactly on how many different victims? Uh, he was convicted of 45 counts of uh, child molestation on, uh, I guess you would call it, 10 different accusers, although only eight of those testified at trial. All right. And we agree that the McQuarrie kid in the shower was the linchpin of the case. No question about it. Question. Yeah, well... Th- yeah. Well, and I'm the person who identified who that was because we're going to get to that. Yeah. The, the prosecution did not identify who that was. That person never testified at trial. And there's an exceedingly good reason that he never testified at trial because he would have blown up the entire prosecution case. Right. Question. Are the other accusers credible? Well, they're only credible if you believe Mike McQuarrie, right? okay. See, and that's the way. And that's the way this whole thing okay. went down. Okay. Is that okay. No one bothered. No one bothered to look at any of these these guys because we never felt like we needed to because we believed Mike McQuarrie. So the so the other kids that came forward and testified, they didn't have any good hard eyewitness more than just a he said he said narrative, which is pretty weak in a court of law for serious crimes it, like it's, this. It's a, it's actually worse than that. Um, first of all, and, and I understand why you, you said kids, but there were no kids. You see, a lot of I, I believe that most people think What's a Pennsylvania, kid? Pen, Pennsylvania does not have tel, television in the courtroom. OK, right. so no one saw any of this. But these were not little kids that came forward to testify that Jerry Sadusky had t- molested me last year or last week or last month or whatever. These were adult men. Adult men at the time, or at the time of their testimony, so eighteen said, plus, y- right? Yes, who said years ago? I never told anybody, right. uh, but uh, Jerry Sandusky uh, molested me. And oh, by the way, when I finally did tell my story, uh, I told uh, very different versions of it. It evolved, and yeah. Uh, by the way, I'm also going to get paid millions of dollars at the end of this whole okay. thing, which every single one of them did. Two of the most mind-blowing things from this documentary, from your podcast about all your investigative work. Thing number one, I think most of my listeners and sports fans either have relegated this memory to the dustbin or they never knew it. Two mind-blowing things is the prosecution got the date of the alleged heinous attack wrong, not once, but twice if you believe your mountain of evidence, and I do believe your mountain of evidence. So they got it wrong at least once they admitted to, twice. To me, that ought to be fatal in our system of justice, but what do I know? That's number one. Blow, mind-blown thing number one. Mind-blowing thing number two is that the boy in the shower was never publicly identified nor called to testify one way or the other. Boom! What the fuck? 
Thank you so much. You've just made 10 years of work at least somewhat <laughs> worth it. Um, thank you for finally someone getting this. Uh, the, the first episode of the podcast, with the benefit of hindsight, is all about the date. And the reason why we made it all about the date is, one, because Malcolm Gladwell wrote a chapter uh, effectively about the date and my work on the date, and two, because you don't have to talk about child molestation. This is, this is actually quite an interesting mystery. Uh, the, the listener can go along with us and put the pieces of this puzzle together. But yes, that was the first moment when the hair on my arm started to stand up when no one bothered to notice this because the initial firestorm had died down. The whole, you know, Paterno had been fired. The administrators had been fired. Paterno had actually died. The Sandusky trial hadn't happened yet. And all of a sudden, the prosecution very quietly announces, um, yeah, remember when we told you that this whole thing happened on March 1st, 2002? Yeah, um, well, actually, we now know via emails that this actually happened supposedly on February 9th, 2001. So, yes, our, our star witness might – off by an entire year and a month. Right, right. So our star witness, on, on whom we're, we're putting everything, Mike McQuarrie, then a graduate assistant at Penn State University, he gets the date, the month, and the year totally wrong of this cataclysmic, catastrophic, uh, unforgettable event. By the way, he thinks it happened originally uh, after 9-11, when it actually happened before 9-11, which to me, from a memory standpoint, never made any, any sense, sense at all. Right. Uh, at, at all. Um, but um, but – and, and But I will also say my biggest mistake in all of this, and I have made many, but it's the one Including that the I Including the glue regret. on the pen in the can. Well, other Sandusky. than the glue on the pen, right. <laughs> right, right. But the one that I regret the most is that when I got out of my first interview with Sandusky, where I was presuming he was guilty, all right? But I, I, I have done a lot of high-profile interviews, a lot of high-profile interviews for someone who's not a celebrity, okay? And so this is not my first rodeo. And I know uh, when somebody is lying to me and when they believe what they're saying. And Jerry Sandusky did not believe that the February 9th, the second date, 2001, was the date. He knew it in his bones. And that made no sense to me because to kind of to your point, I'm like – how in the world could the prosecution have screwed this up twice? That's not possible. I know. But I thought, uh, I thought, okay, I'm going to look into this. Well, I did a, I, I was going to go on the Today Show to do an interview with Matt Lauer, which was highly publicized, uh, to talk about my Sandusky interview. And because of that, I, I had so much going on. I didn't have enough time to fully investigate the date. And I'm still presuming at this point Sandusky is guilty. So what the hell difference does it make? So – I stupidly tabled it, and it wasn't until years later when, piece by piece, I started to realize that not only is February 9th not the date, it doesn't even make any right. sense at all for it to be the date, and that the real date is actually December 29th, 2000. Right. No. And, the reason, yeah. and the reason, just to be clear, the reason why that is so critically important is that if that's the case, and Malcolm Gladwell believes that's the case, Gary Schultz, the, one of the administrators who was involved in this and ended up pleading guilty to a misdemeanor, believes this is the case, and he's the key witness in all this because it was his emails that changed the date in the first place. If I'm right, that means Mike McQuarrie waited six weeks right. between the time this happened and the time he goes to tell, not the police, not yeah. the police, 
Yeah, Joe I, Paterno. Right. Okay. Joe so, Paterno. Right. Okay. Let me uh, let me just put something in here. So I reject wholeheartedly any notion. I think Liz sort of you know challenged you on this, saying, "Well, it was ten years ago. People's memories are not that great." I contend if you asked me 10 years ago, what did I have for lunch? I got no chance. If you say, when did you see this iconic uh, assistant coach at a major program sexually assaulting a boy in the showers, I guarantee you I can pin it down to about three days at widest. So that's bullshit right right there. You fucking remember that. I can assure you of that. So that's number one. Number two is that the prosecutors, when they fluffed up and they fixed the date, uh, quietly, by the way, this is after everything is blown up to a million pieces, right? right? They quietly go, right. oh, it was about a year earlier. It, right. it was you who then pieced together, wait a minute, the campus wouldn't have been quiet at that particular date. There wouldn't have been spring break going on, like with date number one, the March date right. of twenty right. or 2002. And right. you then, because you're in sports and you get it how the rhythms of everything works and you did a little bit of cursory research, realized that that was the year Penn State whiffed on every bowl game they had available, which is pretty shocking because there's a billion bowls. And so everything right. was dark and there was nothing going on and it had to have been late in December. And you pieced that together uh, with other evidence that you have. And you got to listen to Ziegler's first you know episode of this podcast to really get the full assault, f- the full scope of it. So... That is established. I grant you that. Now, let me pivot to a harder question, which I kept saying to myself as I listened while doing stripes in the lawn. Okay. I need to be clear. There was a boy of maybe 14, if you want to call him a boy or a young man, doesn't matter. There was someone who most likely was in the shower, but not proven proven, but most likely was there in the proximity of Sandusky at some point at Penn State's locker room. Is that true? Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, well, hold on. I have. I want to make clear, this, and, I, and I'm an ardent uh, anti-conspiracy person, so th- I'm not even alleging any sort of massive conspiracy no. here. Uh, no, and, and, I'm not suggesting that Mike McQuarrie made this up. Uh, no, 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 I know, that, I know. But there was a boy in the shower in the proximity of Sandusky at some point. Yes, yes or yes. no? Okay. And his name is, yes, and, okay. His, and, and we know who he is, and we and we know his story after this event, okay. which Mike McQuarrie did witness, but it wasn't a big deal. That's I know. The, that's so, the issue. Okay, so so I will say this right right here, and this is not something that holds up necessarily in a serious case like that, but that to a lot of people, Ziegler, is a problem. Oh, I get it, and I understand it, and I have no problem with Mike McQuarrie uh, telling Joe Paterno, hey, Joe, you know, I saw Jerry in a shower with a boy the other day. It was weird. Could you tell him to knock it off? Right. I got no problem with that. The- I got zero problem with that, although I will say, I will say, that people um, are are very hesitant to understand the nature of the culture. It feels like, you know, 2000, 2001 wasn't that long ago. It was a long time ago culturally. And this is Happy Valley, Pennsylvania, right? right? This is is before the Catholic Church scandal. I I have been told by many people, not even supporters of Jerry Sandusky, that it was not unusual for for boys and men in the showers in a public, fairly public place to be showering together. This was not 
something that was forbidden or, or taboo. It happened a lot. Now, yeah. you can argue whether that it should have happened or not, but I've been in a lot of football locker rooms. Yeah, I, men I, shower I, together. In sports, men shower together. And at the health right. club, you often shower together, depending on how fancy your health club right. is. And whether they got right. a big room shower or the individual ones. So it was... It was at, at at worst. It was a, it was creepy. It wasn't. It was kind of weird. But weird is not a crime. I mean, I once listened to a whole Adele album with a buddy on a road trip, and that was weird. It was not a crime in my eyes, John. Okay, but I'll grant right. you, it was fucking weird. So that's been established. Now, my biggest question is, why didn't the boy in the shower? And we'll get to his name in a second. Why did he not come out to defend Sandusky? When all he did instead was offer glowing praise for him with his own name under the guise of not being the boy in the shower, but somebody who had been positively impacted by Joe Paterno and his second mile, or not Joe Paterno, by Sandusky and his second mile charity. Why? Well, he, well, he actually did. Oh. <laughs> he, he did. Uh, he did on on numerous occasions. In a court of law. Uh, let me. Uh, let me tell you the story of, of the boy in the shower. Um, and we, we, just one real quick thing back on the date, because this is an important th- element that Malcolm Gladwell left out. So why does Mike McCreary go see Joe Paterno? Well, there's an amazing quote-unquote coincidence about that February 9th, 2001 date. It's not the date that Mike McCreary witnesses Jerry Sandusky in the shower with the boy. It's the date that Mike McCreary finds out that Kenny Jackson has left Penn State to go to the Pittsburgh Steelers, opening up a wide receivers coaching job that Mike McCreary wants, and that's why he goes to see Joe Paterno the next morning. That's that's the real uh, driving motivation. And there's that's a that's a whole big one to unwrap, and I want to get into it. But let me just go back to why didn't and and the and the the boy in the shower's name is. Alan Myers, as documented by both me and Malcolm Gladwell in the book, Talking to Strangers. And Alan Myers is, as you've already pointed out, the key to this whole case. If you don't know the Alan Myers story, you do not know the Penn State Paterno Sandusky story. It's all about Alan Myers. He's a married military man with a family. And he spoke glowingly in letters to the editor in the Penn State Press and the Happy Valley Press about the second mile in Sandusky, but he was never called to testify in the actual case. And he never once said, Hey, I was that kid in the shower. We would, we weren't doing anything. Why not? Well, he actually did. And let me tell you what, how this went down. It actually makes okay. total sense. If you understand, the I missed one. that. Sorry. So, okay. So, so at the time of this McQuarrie event, he's, he's almost 14 years old. He's two and a half years away from winning a varsity letter on his high school football team. So he's not a little boy. And uh, and he's very close to Jerry Sandusky because he has no father figure. Jerry Sandusky is effectively his father figure, so much so that when he does play high school football on his senior night, the person who stands in as his father is Jerry Sandusky. This is well after the alleged uh, assault in the shower uh, that uh, Mike McQuarrie supposedly witnessed. Then that spring of his senior year, he asks his school if uh, he can bring in a valedictorian to speak at his high school graduation. That person is, wait for it, Jerry Sandusky. And then he decides to go to Penn State, and while he's going to Penn State, he lives with, wait for it, uh, Jerry and Dottie Sandusky. And then he goes into the Marine Corps, where he eventually becomes a sergeant, and while he's in the Marine Corps, Jerry Sandusky's mother dies, and Alan Myers drives at least ten and a half hours each way to attend the funeral of Jerry Sandusky's mother. Also during this time, a little bit earlier than this, he's actually...
actually pictured in the newspaper as Jerry Sandusky's assistant coach coaching a a, a volunteer uh, flag football team of eight and nine-year-old boys, which is an awfully weird thing to do if you're the sex abuse victim of Jerry Sandusky. But all of that doesn't mean he wasn't abused because, as we know— Hold on a second. Wait a minute. Hold on. It doesn't. Well, well, I, I, I would suggest as a heterosexual uh, male that it does, but let, well, okay, we're not even enough. close to done. We're, we're not even close to done yet. So, um, so uh, then, um, as a sergeant in the Marine Corps, Alan Myers gets uh, married. Who does he invite to the wedding? But Jerry and Dottie Sandusky—they're not just invited to the wedding, but Alan Myers and Jerry Sandusky take a arm-in-arm photograph at the wedding with Alan Myers in his full Marine uh, uniform, which, ironically enough, is the photograph that is used in the letter that Jerry Sandusky writes when he resigns as the the head of the Second Mile Charity. Then Jerry Sandusky's uh, grand jury investigation gets broken by a local uh, State College uh, Harrisburg newspaper by a reporter by the name of Sarah Gannam, who's a complete joke, and the key to this whole story, she ends up winning a Pulitzer Prize for effectively being an agent of the prosecution. And is out of the business now, you say, right? That is an incredibly important point. Out of the business. Who the fuck wins a Pulitzer and says, okay, I think I've had enough of this? By the way, wins a Pulitzer, never writes a book about the biggest sports (laughs) scandal of the century, goes to CNN where she has unlimited resources and is out of the business in a few years, doesn't break one other story that's fishy I, I, as hell that book was Barry, a million okay. that book was a million dollars right in her pocket right. minimum she didn't write a book because she can't write a book because her story if she tells the truth is going to expose what really happened Got here. It. okay so back to back to alan myers so when when the grand jury investigation becomes public alan myers uh, writes and approves a letter to the editor which is in two different uh, Pennsylvania newspapers, I have the clippings, where he writes about well, how Jerry Sandusky is the greatest thing that ever happened to him. He lists some of the things I've already told you about their history together, that he was a father figure. Ironically enough, he says, listen to Matt Sandusky, Jerry Sandusky's adopted son, about these accusers not being credible. And he writes all this, again, as a sergeant in the Marine Corps. Then in September of 2011, this is this is before the, the, the story has broken nationally in November of 2011, and locally it's broken, but, but but weirdly it's not broken in a huge way because no one's really believing this. They're all everyone's like, what? By Jerry the story, Sandusky? by the story breaking, you mean there was a report locally in Happy Valley right. that there was a grand jury investigation into? Did they say right. Sandusky at the time or just? Yes, okay. yes, it was Got into, it. And, and so so people were were wondering about this, but there was no firestorm because he was still given the presumption of innocence, and so he gets interviewed in September of that year by the police. There's a report. This is all documented. Is a report of his interview where he, at the end of the interview, tells the investigators, "I think you're trying to get me to lie." about Jerry Sandusky. I will never say anything bad about Jerry Sandusky. This interview is over. So he leaves the the interview with the investigators in September uh, of 2011. Then the crap hits the fan in November of 2011. Joe Paterno is under fire. Uh, Sandusky is indicted. And Alan Myers, along with his mother, comes voluntarily, not even with any notice, into the office of Jerry Sandusky's defense attorney, Joe Amendola. Joe Amendola has to find his investigators 
investigator. So Alan Myers is sitting there waiting around for an extended period of time to get uh, an interview with Alan Myers. This FBI-trained former police officer takes Alan Myers' statement, a statement that I have, a statement I waved Waved in the air on the Today Show right. uh, in an interview with Matt Lauer, hoping that somebody in the <laughs> news media might ask, me about, right, might ask me about this statement. He gives this three-page statement completely blowing apart the entire story and, by the way, providing two facts that prove he's the boy in the shower. Okay. And is, also, Is this public record, uh, this statement? From I, I, it's public on my website, framingpaterno.com. And I, like I said, I've waved it on the Today Show. I've done everything okay. I can to make it public. It was a I statement mean, uh, to who? You? To prosecutors? It was, to the, no, it was a statement to the, to the investigator for Jerry's investigator. defense. Okay. All right. Okay. And, and, and it's, it's incredibly detailed. And he says in there, Mike McQuarrie is not telling the truth. But when the, the reason. Right. When the shit hit the fan and the case was going on, he just didn't feel like he could stand up and stop the train because there was too many cars okay. attached to it, too right. much momentum to say well, this did not happen. He couldn't do that, well, didn't do that. Well, well, the timeline here is incredibly important. So he provides this statement during the day on November 9th, 2011. What happens that night? Joe Paterno is fired. The president of the university, Graham Spanier, is fired. Yeah. There is effectively not a riot, but there's a demonstration oh, yeah. in the streets of State, state College. The, the whole world changes. The next morning, there's an, a headline in Business Insider, Penn State on the hook for over $100 million for Sandusky accusers. And now all of a sudden, best case scenario, Alan Myers is like, oh, my God. What is going on here? Uh, my friend Jerry Sandusky, my father figure, is going down. I'm completely confused. Is this possible this is right? And then there's an amazing, one of the more amazing coincidences in this whole case of this perfect storm of crap. It turns out that Alan Meyer's mother had previously worked for a local state college attorney by the name of Andrew Shubin. And Andrew Shubin is on the hunt for Sandusky accusers. He's literally advertising on Facebook for Sandusky accusers sure. because he sees what's going on here. This is a DUI lawyer who's a pit grad who hates Penn State, <laughs> who is who sees this as manna from heaven. Well, yeah, there's a hundred million dollars or more. I don't know what Penn State ended up paying out, but it was a about hundred at least hundred and thirty million, although the numbers are, are tough to, to 100% track down, but we have we. By the way, in this podcast, we will reveal all the stories of those who got the money and exactly how much money right. they got, and it's absolutely so, mind blowing. So, so a flash, so anyway, a flash point, fire, a flash fire erupts, and all of a sudden, the entire house is on fire. And at that point, like the saying goes, "Too late, Marge. The mob has spoken." There was probably no stopping it. Even if Alan Myers screamed from the rooftops, I was in that shower, nothing happened. I've got nothing but good things to say about Jerry Sandusky. In my view, having and I've been to Alan Myers' house, I've spoken to his wife, I've had an investigator speak to Alan Myers directly. I mean, I I mean I've I've posted YouTube videos to Alan Myers pleading with him to come forward. I've been to I've seen his testimony in mm-hmm. Jerry Sandusky's appeal. By the way, he was far more angry with me than he was with Jerry Sandusky, which I thought was fascinating, uh, considering this was the guy who supposedly abused him for all these years. Uh, uh, it, it, here's what I believe happened. I believe 
believe that uh, Alan Myers may have started to think, is it possible that, that Jerry abused others, just not me? I'm not going right. to be part. I'm not going to be part of Jerry's downfall. Okay. I'm not going to have blood on my hands. But if he gets convicted, Andrew Shubin, I'll go ahead and I'll be an accuser and we can get our money. And that's exactly uh, when it ends up happening because, and this is. Did he get, did Alan Myers, did Alan Myers get money? About $8 million. Yeah. See, um, this and, is okay. And, and, All right. Okay. I get it. Now it's clear in my mind. So. You had a chance. It's worse. No, no. I got I got I got to add this one because you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna love this from a media perspective. (laughs) This is how incredible. This is how incredibly dumb the media is. So, so Sineski gets convicted, right? Uh, In a in a super quick trial, no continuances. Seven months after the the firestorm, there's ten different allegations. His defense is completely overwhelmed. He's convicted. Less than a month later. His lawyers come forward with a press release. We represent the mysterious boy in the shower, victim number two, and he will be pursuing a case against Penn State. And the media never bothers to ask, where the hell was he a month ago at the trial? (laughs) No one ever bothers to ask the question. That is mind-blowing right there, my friend. Mind-blowing. So I get it. So let me see if I've got this crystallized because this really uh, unlocked it. Now, are you go- This is a 17-part podcast. I The first 19, one, 19. 19. This, 19. The first episode which dropped last week was an hour and how long? I was like two and a half hours. Was actually. it two and a half? Well, I mean, shit, I got a large yard. I, I guess I, I lost track <laughs> of the, the mowing. Okay, so, and a lot of this is going to be dealt with in the subsequent episodes, right? We go through every, every little single thing. Okay. aspect. Every there's <laughs> not a possible okay. stone unturned. Un, okay. uh, un- so maybe, so maybe uh, all I'm doing is I'm trying to calibrate John whether I was a poor listener, uh, whether I had sort of wandered off mentally while cutting the lawn, or if this is just stuff that will be fleshed out later. These are questions I had. So it, These, it's, uh, it's yeah. all fine. It's all it's, good. Okay. So it's future stuff. All right. So it crystallizes in my mind, and this makes perfect sense to me. Alan Myers, the boy in the shower. 14-year-old young man in the shower, knows it didn't happen the way they said it did. Nothing happened other than just being weird, like listening to Adele on a car trip with a dude. Not a crime, but (laughs) testifies to that, but then quickly sees things are going the other way quick. The whole story blows up with Joe Paz firing, and and the house is on fire. So now he's starting to question everything, and he's starting to calculate, and he's thinking, well, first of all, if I come out forcefully against this, I'm going to get run over. My life is going to be shit. That's calculation number one. Calculation number two, which is a legitimate one, is, well, maybe I was just one more shower away from him doing something else and that he would be potentially harming others who are genuine victims. That's a legitimate concern. And then the third element of it is, well, wait a minute. I've got $8 million coming to me and a happy life. The fuck? I'm not going to stop Jerry Sandusky from going to jail. What do I want? Do I want a life of scorn and having to change my address and keep a unlisted phone number my whole life? Or do I want $8 million? It's not a hard and choice. Figured, and you have figured it out, and I knew, I knew you would. I was confident that you would figure it out. And just to, just to put a, a, some more punctuation on that, when Alan Myers testifies years later, 2016, at a Jerry Sandusky appeal hearing where it's clear, it's obvious he's not telling the truth, and he goes, he can't remember anything. He says, I don't remember like 34 times about all very key things. I'm sitting directly on purpose right behind his mother and his brother. And uh, after the testimony ends, his mother immediately leaves and I follow. 
and they know I'm coming. And the brother, who's a rather big guy, blocks physically oh, yeah. blocks my way uh, in 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 the hallway uh, from uh, confronting his mother directly as she walks away, and I scream at her that she's going to hell. And she says nothing, nothing, <laughs> nothing. Not even a zippy retort. Well, I'll see you there then. Boy, she needs nothing. better. She needs better comeback game than that. Yeah. Okay. Um. I. You know, this is amazing because it. The whole thing is almost like several nested, concurrent disasters of confusion, rush to judgment, yes. toxic yes. issues, financial pressures. It's almost like there was a brawl on a bus in a twenty-car pileup that was about to plunge off a bridge into the ocean. Kind of disaster. And the whole Penn State angle and the Joe Pie angle, which we're not even going to get into today because you'll deal with it in your future podcast, is fascinating as well. So. Let me just pivot to this. McQuarrie. He's a scumbag. Period. After listening to the additional information you provided, I have no doubt in my mind. As somebody who was on the radio talking about this damn near every day for that period of time in 2011, my initial full gut reaction was, so you're saying you saw a boy being raped and you didn't do anything. And your story is... Well, I was so stunned I couldn't process. And then your follow-up to that was, you know, I did tell Joe Pa, and that's enough. I said on the radio, Ziegler, over and over, that's bullshit without saying shit. I said, that doesn't, you know, square with me in any way, shape, or form. But you lay out the unified McQuarrie theory as to what he might have said and why. The floor is yours. Well, thank you for, um, first of all, figuring this out sooner than, than most people. And you, you've just hit on something that I think even those who bought into this story have always had trouble with. Why did he react the way that he did? And the reason why he reacted the way that he did is because he didn't see a rape. He didn't see an assault. He only he testified saw that he saw a reflection in right. the mirror yep. for less than five seconds, I believe. I mean, it was two or three seconds. Two or three seconds. A uh, two or three second bank shot of a right. purportedly one of the more heinous crimes we have: child right. sexual people, assault. That's fucking flimsy, right there. Not only that, but he, he says that most of his testimony is based upon what he heard, what he heard, and um, and and so, you know, look, I believe that he was there. I believe that he saw or witnessed something that upset him. I have no problem with that. I think he did tell his dad and his dad's friend, Dr. Dranoff, at some point, although I believe their testimony actually proves his, that, that Mike's timing is way off and that my timing is correct. I think that's a key part of that whole equation is I actually use prosecution witnesses to prove my own case about the timing of all this. You referenced who he is as a person you know, and this gets to uh, ESPN's role in this. I don't know if you're even aware of this story, but Don Van Atta. We I heard have it. Audio. I heard. Uh, I heard it. By the way, uh, Don Van Atta. I've 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 liked his stuff. He's done, and I ha- used to have a lot of respect. But after hearing your podcast, he's a piece of shit too, and that's unfortunate because I had liked his work. Go ahead. And I and it's my opinion that he's actually a decent reporter, but that this story was just too hot, and that he caved because ESPN. I did not want Okay, so maybe not a piece of shit, maybe a survivalist. Maybe a okay, guy who right, realized okay. I can't fight this. Okay, go. Exactly, exactly. And so, but just to finish the Don Vanatta story, Don Vanatta was ready to blow apart Mike McQuarrie in ESPN the magazine. And I have him on 
tape on you can listen to it on YouTube yourself. It's a, it's mind blowing where he is saying, look, um, we have phone records. We have witness testimony on what Mike McQuarrie's initial reaction was when he was told by his now ex-wife, which is important, um, uh, that investigators have come to speak to him. And he did not think, oh, my God. Thank goodness they're finally coming to speak to me about Jerry Sandusky. I can finally blow the lid off of this thing and after what, 10 years. What were they coming to talk to him about? In his mind, he he, he thought, thought it was about he thought it was about pictures of his penis that he'd been sending to a, to a woman, not his wife, through a Penn State phone. That's what he thought they dick, were coming to talk to him dick about. Dick pics and possible gambling, including yeah, possibly betting on his own games. Well, there's an amazing video, which it sounds like you're aware of. It's one of the few pieces of journalism Deadspin did in all this, because they've been horrendous. Yeah. Uh, but but there, there is a video of a Penn State-Rutgers game where Mike McQuarrie is the quarterback. It's the end of the game. Penn State has the game already wrapped up. And on the last play, Mike McQuarrie throws like a 40-yard touchdown pass. Uh, and the when they were up big, go- up big, and Great. it just so happened to move the spread in their favor. Yes, exactly. What a shock. And the, and the Rutgers coach goes bananas on Joe Paterno, and the announcers are like, wow, that's awfully weird. And um, and and so so you've got Mike McQueary, who's got the dick pick problem. He's got the... Uh, the gambling problem, and he's a he is uh, somebody who works for Joe Paterno, bastion of of goodness. Who if, if Joe Paterno finds out about any of this, he's toast, right? right. So so when the, when he finds out that investigators want to talk to him about Jerry Sandusky from ten years ago, he's relieved. He's like, Thank fucking god Uh, what do you want to know what do you want to know and i and i think you know in my opinion one of the best analogies i use in the uh podcast is that i believe that what mike mccreary had was a loch ness monster sighting that in two in 2000 he sees ripples in the water and maybe as a head poking out of the water and he thinks that's weird i've never seen that in the lake before and you know and he tells some people about it but he doesn't even know that there's a loch ness monster so he doesn't think it's a monster he just thinks it's weird and then 10 years later investigators come to him and say mike oh my gosh let me tell you about this guy jerry sandusky we've got this accuser named aaron fisher who says he's been abused by jerry sandusky for three years we think that there's a monster in that lake and we think you saw that monster can you help us and mike mcquery goes oh my god i saw the loch ness monster and so let me let me help you and then by the way he doesn't tell them i saw a rape he he gives them uh, you know some some semblance of of what he saw and heard and then the prosecutors take that and create a rape narrative because they're so desperate because after three years they can't find a damn witness with any credibility to back up their case so they so they find mike mcquery he's manna from heaven he's easily manipulated one because of the history we've just talked about. Plus, he's not very bright. He's a football coach, uh, and he's just trying to hang on to his job. And 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 frankly, he's not a trustworthy guy. I mean, we we you know I mentioned in these he's he's now divorced. Uh, you know, it's interesting to me, very interesting to me that he's divorced. Victim number one, Aaron Fisher's divorced. Yet Jerry Sadusky's not divorced. None of the administrators are divorced. John Ziegler's somehow not divorced. At least not yet. <laughs> You're working um, on that. No. (laughs) One more 10-year investigative report that goes against a powerful narrative. That'll do it.
probably so. Um, and so, I mean, we've got all the supposed good guys uh, who are rich now. They're getting divorced yeah. by their spouses, but the bad guys who have no money, somehow our wives are all still with us. That said, that, one out. that said, Macquarie did, as part of public record, go to Joe Paterno, and the timeline on this is crucial, and you blow it apart in very exquisite detail, but he did go to Joe Paterno and say, hey, something weird happened in the showers with Sandusky yes. and the students. So yes. that had to have happened. So but, he didn't but, just but, make, but, he didn't, on, he didn't, on. hold on, hold on, hold on. He didn't make up. The, oh, they're not coming to ask me about my dick pics and the gambling? Great. Let me make up a story. Oh, yeah, Sandusky in the shower with a boy. That was already existing. So he yes. did go and report that. But now at this point, he's going to use one incident to meld with the other. And as you say, kind of reverse engineer this whole thing to his benefit. Reverse engineering to me is the key to understanding this whole case and specifically Mike McQuarrie's story. He reverse engineers everything. For instance, he when he when they reverse engineer this date, he has this cockamamie story that he was watching Rudy, the movie Rudy, and he goes he's he's somehow inspired by the movie Rudy, and he goes to go over work to out. the to locker room, right, to get some stuff and tape or whatever. And none of this, by the way, makes any sense uh, from a factual standpoint because we know when the movie Rudy, which was, I think, on TNT or TBS that night in State College, it started way too late. Nobody gets inspired by the first part of Rudy. You don't get inspired till the end. Uh, he leaves right, at the, right face, frank, frank, and frankly, in the beginning of the movie, uh, he goes over to, to the building at around 9, 930 by his own testimony. That blows up the whole movie theory, although I actually think he did watch the movie How? because that's not the night. That's not the night that the, the right. episode happened. Right. It, it, that's the night he decides to go see Joe Paterno. So my current theory on the Rudy movie is he did watch the whole movie and that he did get inspired. He decides, but he watched Rudy. It on DVD. <laughs> No, no, no. He watched it on TV. He, okay. But he, he remember this is two thousand and one. He's he's uh, he's inspired. He's Rudy. Right. He's going to go see Joe. He needs Paterno to go ask. Morning. Right. I'm going to go ask for a job. Kenny Jackson job. Right. He's he's Rudy, and so he's going to go get the Kenny Jackson job the next morning. So he conflates two totally different stories. I believe on the actual night of the episode, he was watching the Peach Bowl between LSU and Georgia Tech doing nothing and decides he's bored out of his mind. He goes over to the locker room. By the way, there's one other really important fact that sports fans will understand how ridiculous McQuarrie's story is. On February 7th of that year, two days before this alleged assault, it's National College Signing Day, which is Christmas Day for yeah. these guys. You're not going to have time to do that, and you're not going to be alone in that building either. Right. It not only plus you would remember, you yes. would remember. Oh my yes. God, this happened right after National College Signing Day. Right. It, what really happened? It was it was about the job. And as far as that meeting with Paterno, we have an email from Sue Paterno, who was there that day, who has a legendary memory, who who, who bizarrely, unfortunately, has never made this uh, public and that didn't testify. She should have testified at Sandusky's trial. She says that that. Famous meeting, infamous meeting between Mike McQuarrie and Joe Paterno took all of three minutes. Three, not five, not ten, not fifteen. Yeah. Three, three minutes. You do not tell Joe Paterno or anybody else, for that matter, about a sexual assault, assault of a over boy three minutes. 
in three minutes. No, no, no that, that's not what happened. It's yeah. not what happened. And in fact, the irony of the Joe Paterno takedown, in my opinion, is that like everything else in this case, everything's upside down. Not only did Joe Paterno not do anything wrong, if he did do anything wrong, I believe he was actually too tough on Jerry Sandusky. He was too by the book. And if it was not for Joe Paterno, this is a cold, hard fact. If it was not for Joe Paterno, Jerry Sandusky would be playing golf right now. Really? Joe Paterno was the reason why Jerry Sandusky is in prison. Because for he, better or for worse. he cut ties and he took away his access to the, to the facility, which laid a right. presumption of potential misconduct. It didn't go all ding, the way. Ding. Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. 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 Yeah. Not only that, but it's his testimony. When people forget the, the the first article about Joe Paterno when this story breaks on November 5th, 2011, by this Pulitzer Prize winner, Sarah Gannam, right? So supposedly out of the business credi- now. Right, right. Who supposedly has huge credibility in the media's mind. They're, the first article about Joe Paterno has the headline Joe Paterno praised. For his handling of child sex abuse no suspicions way. involving Jerry Sandusky. That's an absolute fact. So that's, I believe you can still find it. That's the original. So the original narrative was 100% the opposite of what and it the became. For, and the reason for that was at that time, Joe Paterno was their star witness. He was the only one backing up Mike McQuarrie. The administrators were all like, what? What? Mike said what? And that's why the the administrators got indicted. People don't understand this. Gary Schultz, with whom we have four hours of exclusive interviews, I believe you've listened to a lot of it, uh, which we've, we've put out in an, an incredible act of transparency. You can find this at FramingPaterno.com. Uh, it's all out there for people to listen for themselves. The first interview he's ever done, it should have been on national television in prime time. Unfortunately, it's with me and with Liz Habib for four hours. G- Gary Schultz and Tim Curley, the former athletic director at Penn State, they don't get indicted because because the state really thinks they covered up for Jerry Sadusky. They get indicted because they're a mortal threat to Mike McQuarrie's credibility. And they need to be destroyed. That's why they got indicted. And that's why at the first narrative, Joe Paterno is a hero. Because because Joe is backing up Mike. And the reason why Joe is backing up Mike is, one, he's too old, he's too loyal, and he's got a moron son by the name of Scott Paterno who's advising him, who doesn't know Jerry Sandusky from Jerry Glanville, who (laughs) thinks that Jerry Sandusky must be guilty, who has been believed leaving rumors that he's being fed by uh, a state college reporter by the name of David Jones, who hates the Penn State football program. So he buys into this BS narrative, and Scott, thinking he's a genius. Scott is the classic born-on-third-base, thinks he's a triple kind of guy. He's obese. He's a, a loudmouth moron, but because his last name was Paterno, yeah. he's lived hey, a golden life. We, we, clown, we clowned on him so many times during this whole episode on the radio. He, he, he is a complete clown. Well, so, wait till episode wait till episode three when you hear the phone call between me and Scott okay. Paterno when he finds out I interviewed Jerry Sandusky in prison. It's it's mind blowing. Yeah, uh, it is so, mind blowing. So just like if you horse around with a fourteen year old boy who's part of your charity in the showers at Penn State, doesn't mean just just as if you doing that may be weird, but it doesn't mean you necessarily sexually assaulted them. Joe Paterno taking away Sandusky's key card and disassociating with him doesn't mean he thinks he's guilty. It could just mean that Joe Paterno is old school and dictatorial and is going to go above and beyond 
to say, okay, I can't ding, have anything ding, to do with this. Ding, ding, 100%. Plus, yeah. he actually, there's a notation where Paterno writes about this that he says that it's an insurance concern. <laughs> it's, so it's, right. It's not like, hey, this was weird, and we can't have it, so I'm going to shut it down. Like, you have to say, well, what did you want him to do? Let him keep access to the showers to possibly commit more crimes? No. He did the right, right. thing at the time. But they go, well, it wasn't enough because look at all this proof. Okay, so let me just, let me, we're coming up on an hour. I'm going to leave a lot of this for your podcast. People should listen to it. If they're interested, if they're not, you don't have to. Keep an open mind on things. I think big picture, both Sandusky and Paterno were fucked because of circumstances that were almost entirely out of their control, for the most part. Sandusky was fucked because, let's be honest, he looks kind of creepy. You can't get away from that in today's society. Number two, his charity can be problematic because other bad actors use those types of charities as portals for abuse. Third, sexual assault of young boys is so toxic that nobody, almost nobody but madmen and Californians like John Ziegler are willing to go pursue the truth <laughs> against all odds and all financial incentives. And the fourth thing that was having that went against Sandusky was the story was too good not to be true. The narrative Boy. was so juicy. Coaching assistant legend builds charity to groom boys caught in the act, and now there's a big cover-up. Man, the media flocks to that like catnip. It's Jussie Smollett on steroids. You've just nailed it, but let me just amplify that last point. I really believe that so much of this uh, occurs because the events happen, the alleged events happen, before we find out about the Catholic Church abuse scandal, but the allegation comes out after we find out about the Catholic Church right. sex abuse scandal. And in the media's mind, and a lot of the public's mind, we've already seen this movie before. Yeah. The casting the casting is perfect. Joe Paterno, Italian Catholic, he's the Pope. Right. The administrators are the ca- the cardinals covering up for the, the, the pedophile priest, Jerry Sandusky. The Penn State football fans are the Catholic parishioners turning the other way to protect their right. sacred institution of college right. football. That's what, the, the, in their minds, the casting was perfect. And what, what I have learned is, not only is none of that true but this whole story is like a the negative of a black and white photo black is white white is black the good guys in the story are are portrayed as wearing black hats and the bad guys are actually portrayed as wearing white hats the, everything is upside down in this story yeah. and it's really the paternal firing that turns the world on its head because the paternal firing causes everyone to have perverse incentives including penn state itself right they don't want to fight it they want to just cut the check and move on that you're right worse than that it's worse than that it's worse than that and this is so important once the board of trustees panics and fires joe paterno and graham spanier was highly respected at the time if they're wrong they are damned for all time yeah so now they need 
to prove they're right. So what do they do? They hire Louis Free to come in and give them exactly what they want, which is what he does. And they use $135 million of other people's money to pay off these accusers in a way that makes it impossible for them to ever tell their stories because they're not lump sum payments. The guys got all the money. They're going to be paid the rest of their lives. So they're never going to tell the truth of this. Yeah, it's the case. It's the case of the board of trustees realizing, whoops, someone's going to get fucked and ain't going to be us. So by the way, by the way, I have interviews with two prestigious members of the board of trustees, guys who are titans of industry with lots to lose, who are on the record now saying, you know what, now that I've seen all the documents and I know all the people in this case and we've had some time to look at this quote with the benefit of hindsight, Jerry Sandusky was innocent and I'm sure of it. Paterno was fucked because he was old and he was not yes. nimble enough to realize this is going to be the fight of your life and fight of your legacy and you've got to really navigate this and and have the best people advising you. He was way beyond the point of being able to do that. He was also fucked in part because the story of the legendary coach looking the other way to keep the football program wins rolling along was too good not to be true and ultimately he was fucked. You know why? Because he wasn't winning enough and that's the ultimate defense in big time sports. Can I get an well, amen on I, that? I, I would. I'll give you an amen. I'll add in it that he had his son Scott Paterno uh, advising him and representing him. And by the way, part of the reason why he had his son representing him. Can we just, just why? for a second? Yeah. Why didn't he get a really good? Because he didn't. Because he didn't think this was a real story. Because <laughs> he knew he had done nothing wrong. And so and, and so and by the way. How does Joe Paterno decide in uh, early November, in early of 2011, when he knows this is going to be his last year, but he already has gotten a subpoena to testify, and maybe he has already even testified to a grand jury involving Jerry Sandusky? If this if this this cover up is about to blow apart, why does he ask Joe Posnansky to follow him every day to write a book on this year? If he knows this is about to explode, why would he do that? Because he had no expectation that this was even going to have anything to do with him because it happened when Jerry was no longer at Penn State. The whole story is absurd on its face, but you're right. Joe Paterno was too old. He was too reliant on Scott Paterno. He was too loyal to Mike McQuarrie, and I think there's even a football aspect to that. Because Joe was so old, he was being pushed out from a football perspective. He had very little say in what was going on in the field, and you can actually Google photos of Mike McQuarrie and Joe Paterno on the sidelines, and it's clear, and I've been in this position, not at this level, but as a high school coach, where it's clear Joe is badgering Mike. Like, you know, Mike's you know, got the headphones yeah. kind of on, pretending like he's listening to Joe, but he's trying to pay attention to the field. Mike is like Joe's last conduit to the offense. <laughs> he's the only one listening to Joe Paterno at this point. And right. so when Mike McQuarrie claims that he saw a rape 10 years ago, Joe's like, well, why would Mike lie to me? You know, my, my, Mike's been my quarterback. He's been my assistant coach. Joe believed in his guys. And, uh, and, and 
so the whole thing is just an unbelievable tragedy. And, and, and believe it or not, in this hour, we've only touched upon the tip of the iceberg. And this story is so much more fascinating. I think you've already uh, alluded to this. It's so much more interesting than the fairy tale we were told. I would not still be on this 10 years later if this was not the most amazing human drama I have ever been exposed to. The real story is far more fascinating yeah. than the fairy tale. Well, I think we've done a good job of giving people a roadmap on stuff to look for and think about. And if they're curious-minded, they will really enjoy the podcast. I'm going to try to get through all of your 19 episodes. I can't promise. Uh, well, I've got a lot of lawn to mow this summer, so I guess I will at some point. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, the, thing, the bottom line for me is I don't know what happened in that shower. And I have not vetted the accusations of the other accusers. But I know this, there's so much not right and fishy about this accusation, the core accusation, it gives me pause and it once again reminds me that the system sometimes just crushes people and it rolls over not just individuals but entire entities and corporations and board of trustees like a fucking tidal wave and the money amplifies it to the point where you're long gone from the crucial essence of, well, what actually happened, and do you have any proof? Amen, brother. Thank you for being open-minded. I knew you would figure this out. Uh, people can go to our website, framingpaterno.com, uh, and you, they can also find the podcast on Apple or Spotify. The podcast is called With the Benefit of Hindsight. I urge you to go to framingpaterno.com because that's where you can find the link to the to the core interviews with all the key players that we've already put out there. We put it out there so that people have access to it as they're going through the 19 episodes of the podcast and they can, for themselves, listen to the raw, unedited interviews. We're not hiding anything. It's totally transparent. I can answer any question people have. And all I ask is a fair hearing because this story is too important to be lost uh, in, in the dustbin of a, of a fairy tale history. Open-mindedness, curiosity as to how the world works, and perhaps some perspective is never a bad thing to put into your life. John, always a pleasure, my friend. Good luck going forward. All right, talk to you soon. It should be noted, sexual abuse cases, especially involving adult male predators on young boys, are some of the most despicable, reviled, and evil things in society. They are also extremely complicated. Certainly there are cases of real and shocking abuse that is systemic and evil. And then there is cases that turn out to be, well, nothing more than modern-day witch hunts that put innocent people, if not in jail, through years and years of legal strife and bankruptcy. Don't believe me? Google the McMartin Preschool Trial. The McMartin Preschool Trial was a daycare sexual abuse case in the 1980s, prosecuted by then L.A. District Attorney Ira Reiner. Members of the McMartin family who operated a preschool in Manhattan Beach, California, were charged with numerous acts of sexual abuse of children in their care. Accusations were made in 83. Arrests in the pretrial investigation took place from 84 to 87. Trials went from 87 to 1990, so that's seven Long years, the McMartin family was under siege legally. The case ended with zero convictions, and all of the charges were dropped in 1990. Where would the McMartins go to get their life back? Oh, sorry, wrong department. Go talk to somebody else. 
It had become the longest and most expensive trial involving that type of crime in American history. And it was part of, says Wikipedia, and this is important to know, it was part of a daycare sexual abuse hysteria and moral panic that had erupted in the early 80s and into the early 90s over alleged satanic ritual abuse in such daycare settings. Now, no doubt there was, I'm sure, and there is things that go on that need to be prosecuted and who knows, maybe maybe even satanic rituals. But what's instructive here is that when there gets to be a big moral panic and there's a big momentum and the crowd is chanting monorail, 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 guess what? It's hard to overcome it. What happened with Sandusky and the boy in the shower and what did Joe Pa know and what did he not know and what did he do and what did he not do? That's still all pretty murky, but I know this. There's more doubt in my mind than ever because of things that I learned from listening to Ziegler's podcast. If you are curious to know more, well, Zeke's is your guy. Thank you for listening and rate and review. It's a pain in the ass. Nobody likes to do it, but guess what? The algorithmic overlords smile upon our house when you do that. And then you say, hey, people, this thing, this thing, the Zavecast, it's good. Listen to it. More people find it. Keep us going. And I appreciate the support. As always, stay safe, as my friend Fred Minix likes to say, by not licking handrails or toilet seats. And I will say stay sane by not running with the herd at the first sign of panic. Have a great day, and we will see you next time. Well, sir, there's nothing on earth like a genuine, bona fide, electrified six-car monorail. What'd I say? Monorail. What's it called? Monorail. That's right, monorail. 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 I hear those things are awfully loud. It glides as softly as a cloud. Is there a chance the trap could bend? Not on your life, my Hindu friend. What about us Brendan slobs? You'll be given cushy jobs. Were you sent here by the devil? No good, sir. I'm on the level. The ring came off my pudding can. Take my penknife, my good man. I swear it's Springfield's only choice. Throw up your hands and raise your voice. What's it called? Once again. Sorry, Mom, the mouth is spoken. Mono, don't! Just because the NFL season is now firmly in the rearview mirror does not mean the betting season is over. Oh, no, 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 no. There is still plenty of opportunities to put a little something-something on the games. The NBA, college basketball, NHL, yes, golf. No matter what tickles your fancy, there is still plenty of action to whet your appetite. But just remember, where you bet is every bit as important, if not more so, than what you're betting on. That's why I tell my friends to go to mybookie.com. Oh, but my state just approved it. There's a big DraftKings fan duel, whatever. No, 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 no. Johnny come lately's. My bookie has been ahead of the game for years now. And why does that matter? Oh, I don't know. In a million ways. Better lines, better payouts, less rules. You name it. 
Plus, you get a bonus with me at mybookie.ag. Use promo code ZABE, Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo, and have your deposit matched halfway up to $1,000. Now, make sure you read the rules on payouts regarding bonus wagering. It does require certain levels of wagering to collect your money, but if you just want to bet straight up, you don't want the deposit, you want to make a one-time bet for a million dollars, win it, and then walk away, fine. You can do that as well. That's a free cash bonus for making your deposit. Use promo code ZABE to claim the offer. Bet, win, and most importantly, get paid with my bookie today. We travel to see what's around the bend and what we're capable of. And now Capital One's new class of travel card can keep up with you. Introducing Venture X from Capital One. With 10X miles on hotels and rental cars and 5X miles on flights booked through Capital One Travel and 2X miles on everything else you buy. Venture X, for those always asking, where next? Capital One, what's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. At SheFit, we're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat-burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self-doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022.